Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Monday, February 26th. PTF here in California in a spot known as the Hoover Wilderness. It's this really fun backyard garden area at a coffee shop near where I stay with my friends in Silver Lake. And it's not like warm out here today. I'd say it's probably 57 degrees. But as a result, you would think there was a new ice age from the people out here uh, running in parkas all bundled up. Not a soul here in the backyard of the coffee shop. I'm in a t-shirt and shorts, of course. Um, this is still warm for me as a New Yorker, but great to be here with you and great to get a chance to talk up to a man I always like to speak with after a big weekend of racing. You know him from the work he does behind the mic at Sam Houston and over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? Doing great, my friend. Glad to talk about a big weekend of racing internationally and domestically and obviously uh, working our way up to the Derby, so a lot of excitement. Well, there's Derby news, right, with the return of Timberlake to the races, and that's probably as good a place to start as any. JK and I did a little video actually from this very spot that I'm sitting now yesterday, and we had a good time uh, chatting through the sort of top 10 implications for Timberlake. In the end, no major changes from Eric DeCoster. He did flip Timberlake and fierceness in his original order pretty much left it there. I think, you know, he was impressed enough, obviously, with Timberlake, but this was a 93 buyer speed figure, which is basically his established level. It was a nice return to the races. It gives him something to build off of. How were you, how impressed were you with this effort overall? Yeah, it was solid. I mean, I feel like the book that's being written on Timberlake right now is one that has a great amount of concern about his ability to go maybe beyond eight and a half to nine furlongs. So, you know, I think that's the that's the worry. But, um, you know, you and I talked about the race a couple of days before, and, and one thing we knew pretty clearly was that he really towered over everyone on paper. So yeah. our expectation was that he was going to win, and he did. You know, so I don't want to take away from the fact that he did win. He did handle two turns for the first time. Um, I would say the runner-up ran a better race than he ever had before. He also had a great trip, saving ground the entire way, whereas Timberlake did lose a little bit of ground. I don't really upgrade horses' performances from that perspective terribly much, in large part because the majority of racetracks in this country, nowadays it's advantageous to be a path or two off the rail, but you're also going to generally have a wide trip in the Derby. So, I mean, I'm not going to say, oh, because he went four to five wide, then, you know, it's it's some big area to, to upgrade his performance but, you know, what we're going to need from Timberlake is a move forward next time out. He got a 93 yeah. buyer. We're expecting him to run better. I think he passed the test that we wanted to offer up to him first time around. And the fact that he did so is a positive. Um, he moved when he was asked. He finished the job the way he was supposed to. He was getting away from the field late. But, you know, he is still um, – in, in a year like this, he's very much a player where there could be some really nice horses that aren't eligible for the race. And he looks like one of the one of the top candidates right now, I'd say. That is all very well put. There was an element of this performance that was holding serve in a tennis analogy. It, it would have been a problem if he didn't. He did, and that's great. But you know, let's let let's see what happens if he can uh, if if he can move forward in the next uh, appearance on the racetrack. J.K. and I had talked a little bit about the the sort of moment where he gets out in the stretch and and my idea that I put forth was that that wasn't a case of greenness so much as um 
an issue with the the communication between rider and jockey at that point. I asked, uh, wanted to ask somebody who'd ridden professionally about that. So I reached out to Sean Clancy, who agreed it was more of a rider thing. You know, says he hit him left-handed and switched to his right lead at about the same time, drifted for a second. You know, he probably should have just stuck to hands and heels instead of uh, beating on him at that point, but that's typical. Um, not a problem with the horse. Jock definitely does something strange with the reins. A knot might have gotten caught and flipped to the wrong side. Hard to tell from the video. Nice analysis there from Sean, I thought. But I'm not I'm not worried that that was the horse being like unprofessional in a way that might haunt him going forward. I just think that was like a, a momentary communication thing. What, what did you make of that little jink in the stretch? Yeah, I agree. I think it was uh, I think it was because he got flagged pretty hard left handed. Um, it's uh, you know, you see riders do different things over time with regards to getting horses to swap. The good ones seem like they can do it simply by shifting their weight. And um, the ones that maybe aren't as comfortable doing so are more likely to to really start to try and pop them and, and see if that gets them to change. But um, it felt like a, a situation where he probably reacted to the whip a little bit more than, than he expected to. And, you know, this was also the first time anybody wrote the first time Christian Torres wrote him. It was the first time anybody other than Florent Giroux wrote him. So I would assume this was the placeholder mount for Christian Torres with Florent being in, uh, in Saudi. Um, so you would expect to see Florent back on him next time out. And it'll be interesting to see if he, uh, if he does offer up any type of similar greenness. I think the situation that you focus on there is that once he was kind of righted, so to speak, um, he, he started to get away from the field again. So, yeah. I mean, he was, it was never any kind of long-term issue. And I saw somebody say somewhere that he drifted. He did not drift. He simply reacted and then straightened back up. That's also not a totally uncommon thing to happen at Oaklawn. I don't know if maybe there's something with regards to the, the infield or the proximity of the patrons on the apron or something like that, but you will frequently see horses sort of angle out an extra amount in the stretch um, I'm, I'm speaking anecdotally. I don't have any specific examples. So it didn't seem like a big area of concern for me. I mean, look, I'll be honest with you, Pete. If there are distance limitations for this horse, I didn't really see him on Saturday. I think they may play out as time goes by, but I didn't really see anything from Saturday that makes me say, oh, yeah, he seems like a real a real question mark to go a distance. He finished up well in the end. And Brad Cox is the guy who uh, is the author of the quote that I always break out because it's really changed the way – the business works on the sales side where it's no longer that they go to sales looking for pedigrees you'd expect to run a mile and a quarter. I mean, his exact line was something on the order of we look for horses that look like they're going to get a mile, mile and a 16th. We train them to do the rest. And so he's, you know, in the right hands too for that. And that's a good point just about the verbiage. I think I might've even said drifted in the video. It's not drifting. Drifting is sort of on your own accord, like, like, you know, a boat drifting out. Uh, this was very clearly a, a, a reaction. Um, and, and then I think it was exacerbated by whatever happened with the rain. So it, no big deal there. Um, that dog don't hunt. I think it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if Timberlake can move forward. Any thoughts on any of the others coming out of this race? You know, it doesn't really seem like any of them will be serious derby horses. I guess the runner-up is is worthy of a little bit of consideration. I think the problem with this race from a speed figure perspective is that you had a lot of horses that had really been middling types um, speed figure-wise. And so it came back a faster race than a lot of them had ever run before. And that includes Common Defense, who was second. But um, I'm not I'm not counting on any of them being serious players. It's going to take a uh, maybe a visitor or two in the 
the Arkansas Derby to really level the playing field a bit because it looks at this point like Timberlake's quite a bit better than all of them. It'll be interesting to see if uh, if one of the Baffert gorillas turns up for that. Um, it will be it will be very interesting like- to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the big question. That's kind of what what I was sort of alluding to. And and you know, um, the good thing about Oakland is they run a million races at a mile and the sixteenth on big days. So the last four races were all at a mile and the sixteenth. This was the second fastest of the four, which is what you'd expect. The only one faster was the Razorback, and the Razorback was uh, 0.34 faster to the half and 0.43 faster to the finish. So all things considered, that's solid, right? If that means yeah. if you were to you were to plop Timberlake into there, I think he would have been very competitive. Uh, that's a crude comparison, but um, the latter part of this race was definitely solid. There was no no great concern about it being slow. Um, if you want to put the final five sixteenths into perspective. 31.37 for the uh, for the uh, older horses, 31.07 for Timberlake. So he was actually finishing a little bit better. You know, what we know about Timberlake is he's a horse with a lot of tactical speed. He can be forwardly placed, and he showed on Saturday that he can finish. I would eagerly be anticipating the Arkansas Derby. Curious to get a chance to talk to Sean Borman. Speaking of the Seans we talk about on these shows from time to time and see if he's any more impressed with Timberlake after that. We'll probably be due to get him for another Pro Player Diary, probably after, possibly this week, if he has any extra stories to tell us. But maybe we'll keep him in our back pocket and bring him out after all the big uh, Triple Crown prep race action next weekend and just to button up that final point about the reliability of the speed figure it's the kind of race where you'd expect these horses early in their three-year-old year to run their best races so yeah if you were i'm just looking right now at the buyers that buyer view in the drf formulator charts and yeah if you were projecting this figure it wouldn't be as high as what it is because of you know that pull of so many horses running best numbers but this is a time of year where they're supposed to run their best number and there's so much other you know evidence based on what happened on the racetrack on the day this isn't you know Gulfstream one day you might have what three dirt races it's not that like this is i think this is pretty reliable and he should be poised to move forward we'll see how it all plays out let's move over to actually let's stay at oaklawn just in case you had any other efforts on this card that you wanted to to highlight anybody else uh, impress you in particular um, I mean, not anybody that I would say, you know, oh, you want to you want to really keep an eye on this one. I mean, it was a it was a pretty surprising win in the Honeybee, a twenty eight to one for Lemon Muffin, giving Dwayne Lucas's third win on the card, and felt a little bit like Throwback Saturday with the coach getting that uh, that win, and it gave <laughs> Keith Asmussen, I believe, it gave Keith Asmussen his first graded stake win, which if oh, you would wow. have. If you would have if you would have had the odds on the first graded stake win for Keith Asmussen coming for anybody but his father, it would have been Jesus. It would have been a very big very number. big long shot. Yeah. So uh, so that was kind of interesting to see, and and Keith has improved a ton. I will I will say that he's been uh, he has has he's, he's really been yeah, he's really really improved a lot. I'll actually say his brother that's riding down at at Sam Houston came in winless and has 15 wins at the Sam Houston meet too. And he's ridden a lot better as time has gone by, but yeah, Keith looked very good. He's very quiet on a horse early, which is nice. And you know, he rides a lot of Asmussen horses that are going to have natural speed and lemon muffin had a very similar type of trip. She was forwardly placed and ended up finishing up nicely. You know how much of an Oaks Philly she is. I'm not sure, but she got an 84 fig for this race. And last year, wet paint got something I think pretty comparable. So um, I'm not, I'm not expecting that, uh, that she's that far off. So, um, you know, I would say you got to keep an eye on her as far as the next, uh, next round of preps goes, the, the fantasy, I don't think Wayne can still squeeze another race into her. 
between now and then he might try, but, uh, <laughs> but we'll end up, we'll end up seeing how that goes. You mentioned about the Asmussen brothers, recent guests on JK plus one folks should check that out. You mentioned about Sam Houston. So it's a good a time as any rather than do a plug at the beginning of the show. Maybe we'll just do it very quickly in here before we uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk Saudi and then we'll, we'll end up talking a little Santa Anita. But we do have this uh, Sam Houston contest coming up. April 6th is the day. Run down very quickly, Nick, the rules for people. It's an on-site only um, you're going to want to get signed up for this early. And based on the extremely strong participation from the previous Sam Houston contest, I think this is going to be a pretty good one. Give folks a little bit of the details on that. Yeah, for what it's worth, what I was trying to say before, I just looked it up. Wet Pink got an 83 figure in the Honey Bee last year. So one point better, actually, for Lemon Muffin. Um, yeah, with that said, Houston betting challenge coming up April 6th. Really looking forward to it. We're going to have. Uh, it's a, it's a combo live and simulcast contest. If any of you out there used to play in the old Arlington Park contest that took place between 2015 and 2019, it, it is exactly the same as that format. So like Illinois in Texas, we cannot take an entry fee. So the entire 2000 that you put up is your bankroll. We're requiring you to bet a thousand on Sam Houston and you can bet the other thousand however you want between Sam Houston, Aqueduct, Santa Anita, Oaklawn, and Keeneland. And that obviously is the Saturday that includes the Bluegrass, the Santa Anita Derby, the Wood Memorial. We threw Oakland in as well, even though they don't have any big, particularly big races that day, just because Oakland has a big following down here between Houston and Dallas, especially. Um, and so the majority of our players will come from those two areas. So we uh, we're expecting, you know, a, a mid-sized field. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to put any predictions out there. We've got 20 signups already. So that's a good start. And uh, we're still about six weeks out. The other part of it is that, you know, a lot of people are still formalizing their travel plans with regards to immediately after the NHC. So we're going to come up three weeks after the NHC. The top prize is a, is a, a choice of a Breeders' Cup betting challenge seat or an NHC spot. I'm going to make a wager that the person who wins will choose the BCBC spot. And then uh, the other two, the second and third place finishers, will receive uh, NHC spots for 2025. So nice opportunity for live money contest we're going to have nice hosted seating and a buffet for everybody so it'll be a be a great setup go to shrp.com to get more details thanks for that nick we'll keep it with three-year-olds as we go to saudi and we'll talk quickly about forever young who got the job done in the saudi derby and has been stated there were no derby points for this race but this is a horse who the plan all along has been stated that the success here would mean heading to Dubai where derby points might be earned. Is this a, a situation where you think we're dealing with a serious derby contender or is this, uh, you know, depending on what you think of Bookham Dano, is this a horse that uh, beat a Jersey bred by, by a neck? What, how, how are we viewing this effort uh, in Saudi? I do think Bookham Tano is better than the average Jersey bred. I'll say that for sure. <laughs> he's a, he's a nice horse. He's, he's, he, he is astutely campaigned as well as, as far yeah, as I'm very, concerned. very this smart. Was, this was very, very smart. And, and kudos to Derek Ryan and that crew for basically coming out and saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to exhaust our horse to get to the Derby. He's a gelding. We're in it for the long haul. And um, and so, of course, then they ship their horse, you know, 5,000 miles. But uh, but still, I mean, look, they, they did what they said, right? They want to go for spots where they can make money. And that's kind of what they're focused on. So um, that'll be the situation for – a period of time there. I thought he ran well. You know, I don't know. I can't really make much of what his derby potential might be. 
Um, it's, it's just given, and I hate saying it can't happen because it's never happened before, but given the lack of success that these horses have had in these kind of situations, um, it seems far-fetched to think that somebody can come over from, from the UAE Derby and, and be successful. But um, he was very game in victory. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the UAE Derby shakes out because I'm imagining we'll have some Japanese participation and they've absolutely dominated that these races in recent years. And so, yeah, it'll be fun. It's, uh, it was a great performance by Bookham Dano and always nice to see our horses perform at a big level on an international stage. And, and so yeah, it, was, it was a crushing defeat. I mean, he got up right in the last stride. But, um, yeah, I'm not holding out any great derby hope. As the great as the plan was, boy, it really looked like they were home and hose down with the, with the Bookham Dano run. Um, very hard to guess at any kind of speed figure on these Saudi races between the way that the, the, the track seems to change from day to night, year in, year out. But have you heard any scuttlebutt or, or have any kind of guesses about figures either for this one or the one we'll talk about next, the Senor Buscador getting his signature win in, in the big one? Um. I don't. I don't really know. I think the situation that I heard was that we were trying to figure out um, what to do with the run-up. Not we. Right. I should say figure makers were trying to figure out what to do with regards to run-up. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. You know, I, I think Randy Moss usually can put together an educated guess. And, um, and so uh, I would say that that'll probably be out relatively soon. Um, what I do know based on, on the discussions I've had, is that the pace in the Saudi Cup looked like it was insanely fast. Yes, well, so, and that makes sense, given the one. As well. Right, I mean, the yeah. two, the one-two finishers came from a mile out, and I think the, we'll talk about the Saudi Cup, obviously, in a minute, so, yeah, I think that's kind of where it is. But it, Randy had a pretty strong guess on what the figure was, was for Derma Sotogake last year, and uh, so did Paul Matisse, actually, so I think those guys will do the right amount of work, and, you know, it's tricky because there's no run-up there, and we're used to run up. So you're trying to figure out exactly what the fractions are like, but I mean, it undoubtedly looked like the Saudi cup fractions were extremely fast. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the race and, and, you know, it starts with Buscador, obviously this was just great to see now a horse that I've liked quite a bit, but also just terrific to see connections. You don't always see getting to succeed on, on this kind of stage and a horse that have been knocking around and trying hard in so many of these races, being able to, to get that, uh, get that grade one, win finally it, it was a result that made me pretty happy as a player and a, and a fan of the game yes for 100 percent, it made made things feel right in the world right it was uh it was a, <laughs> a hard trying horse and you know we i was at the track actually when i was at sam houston when the when the result came and uh, and todd fincher spent a couple of winters at sam houston and joe peacock is a texan so it was really nice to see them win and and he's a horse who's really He's gotten better as time's gone by. He's a great credit to the notion that you let him run for a little bit longer, you're going to get the best out of him. He's six years old now. Yep. And probably the best, you know, the best he's ever going to be is in a fast-paced one-turn race, whether it's anywhere from, I would even go so far as to say maybe as short as seven up to, to nine furlongs. I think the fact that he's just been running longer makes his his late run a little bit more laborious. But um you know, this was just a, a tremendous win and really a, a great thing to see. Um, at the same time, Ushba Tesoro ran extremely well. Saudi Crown ran unbelievably well. And you yeah. really hope that there's a there's a big race out there with his name on it. You have to imagine that 
he's going to be just he should be a terror in in races like the Met Mile and the Whitney later on. I would assume that that's kind of the the mid to long range plan, um, just because he showed how good he is when he's on the lead. And you know what, Pete? I think we've all realized that we took a dump on National Treasure for most of last year, deservedly so. But he was better than we all realized, right? Or maybe he wasn't quite reaching his potential. And this was his best effort when he has not had the lead. Previously, right. he had been a complete joke when he didn't have the lead. And now, granted, I know people are going to say, well, he stalked in the Pegasus and was victorious, which is true. So I should say Saturday and the Pegasus have been at a different level relative to where he'd been prior. This was also only four weeks after the Pegasus and with a gigantic you know, uh, uh, transcontinental trip. So um, it was a good effort, really, really strong efforts from the top four. It was a fun race to see. The big disappointment, of course, was White Abario. And now we're all beginning to wonder if maybe the White Abario that we saw at Saratoga and Santa Anita was kind of a figment of our imagination. He's going to have to prove that next time we see him. He was White Abario a horse. Now, granted, the vibes were supposedly great around him heading into this, but he was a horse that previously had had some foot issues, and it seemed like the kind of thing where, you know, it took all of Dutro's capabilities to get him to be at his best for those big days. I haven't heard any quotes or anything, but it, but it just, he didn't, it, it seemed to me like, yeah, basically what you're saying, it wasn't the same horse out there. You, you wonder if some of that nagging physical stuff caught up with him or, you know, they're horses and they throw in clunkers and they're creatures of habit and you send them halfway around the world and sometimes you see weird stuff. But yeah, as, I think you make very good points about the difference between national treasure what a huge excuse in the form of, you know, making a move <clears throat> in a pace that was very fast and White Abario, who to me seemingly had no excuse. Correct. Yeah, no excuse at all was was right up there in behind and, and pretty much stopped at the, the three eighth peg and that was it. So, yeah, he, it was it was an underwhelming performance, uh, to say the least. And so what we're going to have to. I'm I'm at this point not going to be shocked if we never see him again. I hope we do because I want as many good horses as possible to stay in training. But um, yeah, it felt like if that race and, – and there's also – there's an element of these races that makes you want to say, hey, you know what? What happens over there stays over there. Let's not assume that that's going to be the case really moving forward. But um, it was not the kind of performance that we wanted to see. You, you made a very good point about how Buscador, I think, was finally seen to his best effect. We've talked a lot. There's disagreement about this, but I have a very strong opinion. You know, you'll hear a lot of people talk about a one-turn mile as if that's easier to get for a horse with dim distance limitations than a two-turn mile. Could not disagree more on that. You're full out running for longer around the one-turn configuration. So for me, it's a configuration that demands more stamina, not less. And then you throw in a fast pace and a horse like Buscador, who at times seems like, you know, he made so many brave runs, but often would come just short. And it really took every bit of a great ride and a great setup for Alvarado to to get him there. I think I do think that's worth that's worth highlighting. I don't I, I think that it, it's it's not that I expect Buscador to now go and win every grade one race here. I think he was just everything conspired to see him to 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 great effect on this day. I'm not like uh, going to be reflexively anti him when he comes back, but I'm, but I'm just not going to expect lightning to strike twice in terms of all these circumstances. Am I, am I underselling my old friend Buscador at this point? No, I think you're being fair. I think that's a fair analysis. And yeah, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't state firmly enough that going a mile and an eighth in a fast paced race for a, an off the pace horse is about as good a setup as you're going to get in one turn. So we just see this configuration so infrequently and um, the fact that 
fact that Saudi Crown really never got a breather is what makes the, the performance so tremendous from him in that he took heat at every turn and still held sway as nicely as he could, um, looking like he was going to win up until the final 100 yards. So, yeah, I mean, I think Senor Buscador is a horse that's always going to be at his best when he gets a lot of pace in front of him and he got it and um, the one-turn configuration was really ideal because it's also not – you know, it's not a one-turn mile at a place like Churchill with a kind of a paperclip turn. It's a broad sweeping turn. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a racetrack that's that's what is it, ten furlongs around, I think, um, somewhere you know somewhere in that range. So it's uh, it, it gives you every opportunity, and it was great to see. I mean, it was obviously a an easy win to to really really admire. Saudi Crown, the one who, for all the reasons I said, hey, maybe that was the perfect day for Buscador, all that same stuff was against Saudi Crown, and he still did what he did. So, yeah, that's he's probably the one to, to take out of the race, um, depending on how you feel about uh, about Ushba Tesoro, who, again, also ran, ran a very, very big one. It'll be interesting to see where these horses go next, and hopefully we'll get a field of older horses as competitive as this one again somewhere down the line before the Breeders' Cup Um but boy, it really, this was the year for me that the Saudi Cup really, really all came together in terms of putting together just this top quality international field that had, you know, 80, 90% of the horses that you'd want to see competing in it. Let's talk about where I was for a little bit, unless you want to piggy, feel free to piggyback any other Saudi thoughts you might have. But I want to talk a little bit about Santa Anita, where maybe the most interesting race uh, was, uh, was, was an allowance race with uh, Clarier's little brother, Judge Miller, out there putting it all together and running. I think I saw a 105 buyer speed figure. That that was pretty exciting, and I wasn't surprised by it. This was a horse who'd run in the in the 90s twice sprinting when everything about the horse's bloodline said longer was going to be better. How, how impressed were you by Judge Miller in that uh, in that race? Yeah, that was strong. That was that was definitely a little more than we expected. Um, He's a horse who obviously is coming into his own now as a four-year-old. And he had been a little, I don't want to say underwhelming, but I think we expected more from his opening day performance uh, back on the 26th of December. And I guess the added ground and everything else really made a big difference because he was very, very good. Um, looks to be stakes ready at this point as well. And you kind of hope that Mark Lapp might be willing to take him on the road a little bit, even though there are a lot of opportunities at home. You know, kind of the this horse feels like one that, that you want to see in a race like the Ali Sheba on Kentucky Oaks Day um, yeah. pointed towards some bigger objectives. So, yeah, it was a, that was a really compelling performance and one that, that I certainly enjoyed seeing. Obviously, the pedigree was great there. I'm sure there a lot of people out there thinking, why the heck did they sell a full brother of Clarier? And, of course, I mean, with Stone Street's operation, they're more focused on retaining the Phillies than the Colts, exactly. so that's why they were willing to do so. But it looks like uh, this horse isn't going to fall too far away from his sister, who was obviously pretty accomplished in her day. No, very, very nice stuff there. Linda's gift is worth a shout out, I think, for that win. Just a grade three, but a nice win in the Santa Ana. And I was, um, uh, I was curious to see what what happened uh, with that uh, with that mile and a quarter effort. If that might prove too sharp, didn't look that way at all. She was very, very good, imperious in victory, even, and and looks like one who will continue to be a player in out there. Uh, is she one that has shown enough at this point that? that you might want to see what she could do against the, the sort of East Coast and European turf type fillies that we're, we're often going on about on these airwaves. I think what she'll remind us of if she travels is why we don't bet California turf horses when they travel. <laughs> 
she's she's a she's a nice one. That's one of three races in figure, a row. So yeah, yeah. definitely yeah, a grade three type number, right? Yeah, yeah. She's she's not coming over to a race like the New York. Um, I mean, that barn doesn't really ship much anyway, but. Uh, she's not coming over to a race like the New York and scaring anybody from Chad Brown's yard or, or any, anybody else for that matter. Yeah, that's uh, it was a nice job though. Uh, Mandela's done a nice job with her and uh, it was a good, a good effort worthy of at least uh, shouting out. I thought, Hey, let's talk about a race that we're only talking about because it's uh, it's you and me on the show. We'll go back to aqueduct and talk about the New York bred uh, monster Whittington park. Uh, I, I saw you sent out a tweet shortly after this race. The significance of Whittington Park, for those that don't know, this is the older brother of Looms Boldly, 10-strike homebred, who uh, has has really turned into a nice horse. And this was, this in all seriousness, was a was a terrific effort. I didn't check the figure, but I mean, it, it's it's got to be somewhere around 100, I, I, I would think. And I mean, they've just had so much fun with this horse. And I hopefully for them, they can continue to do so this season. Yeah, ninety nine as uh, as Whittington Park kind of becomes the boss in the in the New York Red Older Dirt Division, which is great to see. And he's a horse that uh, that had always kind of shown he had some ability and and looked like he was landing in a spot where he was going to get some pace to run at. And uh, Kendrick is just a really good fit. And Kendrick had a great interview in the paddock after the race with Richard Migliori, where he shouted out Marshall Graham. Of course, our mutual friend and, and friend of the network who bred Whittington Park along with Clay Sanders and. Uh, said, you know, he, he, he fits this horse very well. And there was a period of time where Añejo looked like he was getting away from the field. And I tweeted afterwards about my sympathy for anybody who bet Añejo, who moved about a furlong and a half too soon and probably was never supposed to lose this race. But I'm glad he did because it enabled Whittington Park to win for our friends. So um, it was uh, – I, I can be sympathetic while also realistic at the same time. Uh, but it was great to see. I mean, I would imagine Whittington Park now will be on the, the long-term trail to – Races like the uh, Empire Classic and a couple of the spots in between. I know he'll end up in Saratoga, I would imagine, for the day after the Belmont, which is going to be the New York Showcase for the springtime. I think a mile is really Whittington Park's comfort zone. I think a mile and eighth is a little bit far. Uh, he's a good example of the kind of horse we're talking about that enjoys a setup at a mile where he can unleash that late try and, and really only has to run hard for about a quarter of a mile. But either way, he's really blossoming. He's coming into his own. This was a horse who broke his maiden as a two-year-old on uh, Travers Day in 2021. And now at the age of five, is definitely still swinging. Probably the best he ever has. As for Looms Boldly, apparently back up and in training. I haven't gotten an update in a couple of weeks. We keep saying the same things about him. He's got to get faster. But I guess that's one of the things that seeing the older brother continue to thrive and improve like this at, at an older age gives me hope that maybe he's got that improvement in, in him. Look, obviously, it owes us nothing. Four races, he's won already. How fabulous is that? But, um, hey, it's fun to continue to dream on what the, the Sea the Forest progeny will do in the 2024 and beyond. Now, be honest. You had you Were you among those who, who had bet on Yeho at 7-1 to one and, and were up about five lengths with 100 yards to go? Um, of course, I bet Dr. Ardito over Whittington Park and Añejo, so that was, uh, <laughs> that was I would I'm, three three two five was my magic number. So no, I didn't. I didn't use Añejo in anything that that would have helped me win. But um, yeah, so no, it was just just my condolences that went out. But yeah, it was a tough tough result to see. Well, don't be surprised if Looms Boldly ends up needing a race off the layoff. I've, I've heard that he's been known to carry a little extra flesh. <laughs> <Sorry>, so. <laughs> As one who as one who is known to do the same thing, 
I can say that he's been known to to get after the feed tub a little bit, and, um, and so he might end up needing a race. He does. He's nothing to me when it comes to eating dumplings. I'll tell you. I'll tell you that as as I can report firsthand from being out here in in Southern California. But yeah, maybe Looms Boldly and I can go on a diet together. Uh, I think that's it, Nick. Unless you have any other closing thoughts. I mean, we've got huge action coming up this weekend. Gulfstream have already drawn. Folks can get started on that. I'm not sure how we're going to do it. We may have two separate shows, and I think we're going to do them with video. One for Gulfstream. One for one for Santa Anita. We hope folks will uh, will tune in for those. But uh, any race in particular you're looking forward to on the big Saturday? I mean, undoubtedly the Fountain of Youth, right? It's got locked and door knock and looks like a really, really interesting running of that race. So definitely looking forward to seeing how those two uh, perform. And um, it's just a stakes-laden program. It's usually the the best. I mean, of course, Speakeasy's in there as well. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to see how that shakes out. Um, this is usually the best card of the spring at, at, at Gulfstream outside now of the Pegasus. So, yeah, it's going to be great. Can't wait. Good stuff, Nick. We'll let you go. We're going to talk more about this big Saturday at Gulfstream in Santa Anita with the guest coming up who's going to give us the lowdown on the new and improved Ultimate Betting Challenge. We'll get to that right now. Actually, I've changed my mind about the running order. want to hop back on real quick here. Not an ad, just a, a horse that uh, we didn't talk about with Nick that we easily could have, and one that is uh, campaigned in part by partners of ours at Adelphi Racing. Just wanted to shout out how terrific Pandagate looked, bouncing back in that huge debut race, and bounced back in the gander with an 86 buyer speed figure, absolutely blowing a field away. And there was a very cool interview with Richard Migliori and Matt Cater, who's been on these airwaves many times. Uh, Matt, dream owner, he just completely punted the question when Richie asked him about, you know, whether he'd been thinking about open company off that that type of an effort. And he said what the trainer, I'm sure, wants to hear, which is it's all up to Kristoff. And th- there were some indications, I thought, reading between the lines that they, they might want to keep being patient and, and not rush this one. And, and maybe they'll stick in the New York bred ranks for a while, but this is a horse with a lot of talent and it's great to see Adelphi doing so well. And certainly will be a horse we'll talk about whenever uh, he reappears and happy to say, we don't have it all finalized yet, but we are definitely going to be doing more with Adelphi racing this year, including a very cool contest opportunity. Anyway, not going to get into the details of that because uh, we talked about it a little bit in a Kim Weir segment earlier on. We'll do the whole spiel on that when everything is uh, nailed down and we're ready to rock and roll. But in the meantime, uh, congratulations to Adelphi and their other partners on this one. And of course, Pandagate himself. And now we'll get on with our chat about the ultimate betting challenge. Next up, as promised, more info on the ultimate betting challenge from first bet slash uh, express bet. We now bring in Tyler Frausto. Tyler, how are things, buddy? Everything's great, Pete. Looking forward to Florida and looking forward to a great tournament this weekend. It's going to be fun, and I know there's some wrinkles. Why don't you just lay out the basic terms for us? All right. Well, last year we did a $3,500 tournament. This year it's going to be the same prize pool contribution, $1,000, but we're going to double the bankroll. So we figured with all the races from Santa Anita and Goldstream involved, it gives players a whole lot more opportunity to make a nice wager to accumulate a nice uh, finishing balance there. So we're doing that. Uh Go ahead. Oh, I just say I love that. More of a chance for you to walk away with uh, with more of your money if you're if you're successful. Absolutely, without a doubt. 
We also change how the prize pool structure is set up this year. This year, we're going to be giving away four seats to the 2025 NTRA NHC. And those are not coming out of the prize pool contribution at all. First is providing all the money for that. So we're supplementing those in. And also, this will be the first tournament to earn points into the 2024 NHC Tour. So that's also a nice little edge right there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, added value for seats. That's fantastic. That's that's the way a lot of players in, in, in the tournament world will pick the ways they try to qualify by finding ones where they're added value. So great to have that. And then for the dyed in the wool uh, tour point chasers, what a good chance to start off your year with a bang. So a lot of good stuff cooking with that. What about the races that are involved? Which races are involved and which wagering pools can people participate in? That's a great question. On Saturday, we have the Big Cap Day at Santa Anita, and we also have Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream. So all races, all live races at both of those tracks are involved. No Latin American races that might be hosted by Gulfstream, but any live races at Gulfstream Park or at Santa Anita will be involved on that day. And um, it should be a full stack field. It's great. There's going to be great racing from, uh, from coast to coast for sure. Which wagering pools are available? That's a, I forgot to answer that. Win, place, show, exacta, trifectas, and doubles will be available in the Ultimate Betting Challenge on Saturday. Great. Very similar to the to the BCBC. That only makes sense. And we're dealing with a hybrid contest, right? You can play from Gulfstream, Santa Anita, or online? Correct. You can. You can play on any of those three devices at Santa Anita or Gulfstream. If you make it out to either of those tracks and play on track, I will be at Gulfstream hosting and George Ortuzar will be at Santa Anita hosting in the 100 to 1. I'll be in the Sport of Kings at Gulfstream. But we will offer a $5,000 bonus if you win and you're playing on track. Great. So there's an- another supplement there. Yeah, that's good. And that's always nice to give people a reason to come out. The vibes are so good and, and fun. When you, you know how it is when we get a bunch of uh, tournament players together. I've had the pleasure of, uh, of seeing that recently, and it's going to be the same type of a deal. As far as how to sign up and when you need to sign up by, give us the lowdown on that. Okay, the, um, the easiest way is to go to expressbet.com forward slash tournaments right there you will see the little module and you'll see the ultimate betting challenge when you click on the details there will be links to link you to sign up for on track and that will direct you to the santa anita website which i set up you can pay on that website for a credit card entries or you can email me always at tyler.frosto at first.com Excellent. I wanted to talk about the opportunities that still remain. We're dropping the show on a Monday, so opportunities still to qualify. Let's hear what, what's left as far as that goes for people who want to, to punch their ticket at a little bit of a lower price point. Correct. We are offering uh, feeders and qualifiers on both horse tourneys and ExpressBet itself. ExpressBet has some $40 feeders, which gets you into the $600 qualifier on Friday. That $600 qualifier is in a win place format. The bankroll or the buy-in is split 300 bankroll, 300 uh, prize pool contribution. And you will have to wager on five races of your choosing between Goldstream and Santa Anita's full car in or five races at $30 win place in order to win your way up. And we're giving away one seat for every 20 entries on that one. And on Fantastic. horse tourneys, we have another one. Horse Tourneys is running their own feeders and qualifiers, a qualifier on Wednesday and on Friday. 
It's fabulous. Very good chance to get involved at that lower price point. Check out the full schedule on horse tourneys. Go to Express Bet and get signed up. Very easy to find those qualifiers um, and feeders on the same link you mentioned before, Tyler, expressbet.com slash tournaments. Absolutely. Good deal. Good deal. Well, that's fun that you get to be in uh, in Florida for the weekend. Did you Did you volunteer for that gig? Yeah, somebody has to do the job, right? So I will be out there. Uh, Florida's always a little warm for me, but I enjoy it. I enjoy the people out there. I know some good uh, good players will come out and uh, join me for some good company. More good news is there there was a little bit of um, goofiness looking in the forecast, but it seems like it's come correct in both places. You know, knock, knock, as I say that out loud. But I think it's going to be a great weekend of racing, and uh, we'll see what else is in store. I know a lot of times there'll be a mandatory payout scheduled for the, the Sunday after at Gulfstream. Is that something that's in the works again? Absolutely. I mean, right now, I forgot what it ended at on Sunday, but I know the the pool is growing quite large. So as long as nobody hits it throughout the week and it gets to Sunday, that will be a mandatory payout day for the pick six pool at Goldstream. We'll keep an eye on that and give an update in the later week show. We're going to have special coverage with video for both cards. I think we're going to do them individually. Might reach out to Chappie and see who we can bring in to do the to do the 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 Santa Anita portion. And then we'll, we'll do the same with the Gulfstream portion and hopefully give people a leg up if they're just playing in the contest or, or want to get involved. You, you were witness to that funny situation. I didn't talk about it with Nick earlier in the show, but that funny situation where the real story was Tom Quigley was caught in, in traffic. There was some sort of accident as uh, happens out here um, in California in a place where, where people have to drive everywhere. And so Quigley wasn't going to be able to make the start of his own seminar. So Chappie jumped in the, the seat and interviewed me instead. But we set it up like it was, I don't know if you've seen the film King of Comedy. We set it up like it was a King of Comedy situation and that uh, Chappie had TQ tied up in his basement and decided that, that he wanted all the spotlight for himself. But we had a lot of fun on the Santanita simulcast feed and we'll doubtless have a lot of fun on the YouTube live stream this week that folks can catch on their uh, on their. Santanita YouTube feed or on the in the money one but uh, did you did you get a chance to see I thought Chappie did a pretty good job I did watch you guys uh produce that show a little bit it was a lot of fun a lot of good information there without a doubt we started a little cold but we got rolling there uh, we got rolling there a little bit at the end I, I I was able to walk away with my head held high it's always extra pressure I think when you're on the simulcast feed because you get people telling you in real time if you're uh if you're if you're doing well or not um Hardly, hardly my finest handicapping performance, but we'll take it. We, we, uh, enough winners that, uh, that, that was able to walk away with a little bit of money in the pocket anyway. And it was great, Tyler, seeing you, NTQ, and uh, so many of the crew out there at Santa Anita. It's been too long. You know, I go, uh, I don't even count the Breeders' Cup as Santa Anita because obviously it's just everything's so different for that event. It was great to just be there for sort of what, like a regular weekend. And it made me definitely want to get back soon to the great race place. I agree. I appreciate you coming out to my home base. I love it on a regular day. I like going to racetracks on regular days. When you go to like Churchill Downs on Kentucky Derby Day, it's not the same as a regular day. Or when you go to Goldstream on Pegasus Day, it's not the same. You have to experience it in both worlds. 
I would agree with that. And I think most of the people within the sound of our voice, I mean, these are audience. I thank them at the end of every show. They're the lifeblood of what we do. These are the hardcores, Tyler, the ones who uh, still love to be able to, to pick up those, uh, those everyday vibes, no matter what racetrack they're at. Tyler, thanks for coming on and chatting with us. Folks will see you down at uh, Gulfstream. We gave them all the info. That key link, really, expressbet.com slash tournaments. And again, keep it locked to the In The Money Media Network for coverage uh, all week long, really. Going to have a lot of fun. Godspeed in your travels, my friend, and we'll be talking soon. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for the good wishes. And yeah, if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or via my email. I'll be happy to assist you. Great. Give them that. Give them your Twitter and give them your email one more time. At Wagering Tyler is my Twitter handle. And my email is Tyler.Frosto, F R A U S T O, at first, one ST.com. Till the next time, Tyler. Thank you, buddy. Cheers. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests. All of. There were two of them. It was Nick and it was Tyler. Great to have them on. 10 Strike Racing. We talked about them earlier in the show. Great to see them with that big win for Whittington Park. Always love to root for the purple and black around here. Uh, we'll thank Kim Weir and her new charity organization, Helping Humans, Helping Horses at Therapeutic Horses of Saratoga. You can learn more about them and their mission through our pretty link over at inthemoneypodcast.com slash horses. I know a few of you have made donations already. We really appreciate that. Uh, this is a really cool organization that we're going to be doing a lot more with and talking about a lot more. And we'll give you an opportunity when you come up to Saratoga to get up close and personal to some horses and learn more. That's the best way to do it when you're in in person. So we'll talk about that as we get closer to racing season up at the spa. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you for listening. They're the ones who make it so much fun to do these shows. We've appreciated your support here and over at our YouTube channel. Uh, special shout out to anybody new who might have seen JK and myself on YouTube and decided to check out the podcast Go over there. We're always having little comment contests, etc. Got to drop a comment in our videos to uh, then be featured in a future one. Sometimes we do little cash bets as well. So yeah, go ahead and subscribe over at uh, the In The Money Media YouTube channel and drop a comment in there as well. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.